Uh, would you stand with me in reverence for the reading of the Holy Scriptures? Uh, this is from Mark 10, 13 through 16. <clears throat> and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took, the, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the God. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to do what we always do. Just open up the, the scriptures. Hear, from, hear, hear the word of God. Um, and yeah, in a week, week as heavy as this, uh, it, w- it would not be out of the norm. wouldn't be inappropriate to jump out of the Gospel of Mark, which we've been going through now for a good chunk of time, and, and to do something else. But it was shocking. It was shocking to see the way this synced up, uh, this passage in Mark 10, about Jesus and the children. Um, I'll read it again. They were bringing the children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In Mark, we've been reading about Jesus as he's making his way down toward Jerusalem, down toward his certain death on the cross. And uh, his teachings have been getting increasingly more personal and, and in your face. And last week, he, there was an encounter where he was questioned about God's heart for marriage and divorce and so forth. And now we get this story where there's this group of people, presumably parents, most likely mothers, bringing their young children to Jesus somewhere on his way to Jerusalem, looking for Jesus to, to touch them, to receive a, a blessing from them, to pray over them. And um, I think in this passage, um, we receive kind of three, three calls or three challenges, at least that I identify. There may be more than that. But I, I see in this passage a, a call to value children, a call to disciple children, and a call to become children. So we'll take each of those in turn. First, the call to value children. What we see here is that the, the disciples... The disciples are acting like bouncers for Jesus, aren't they? You've got the crowds, Jesus presumably teaching here, and then the disciples are kind of forming a line and and determining who can get close to their Lord. And uh, the people that they choose to exclude here are these parents and children. Um, What's behind that? What you see there is that the the disciples are still, um, in this dismissive response, they're still living out a prevailing cultural attitude in the ancient Near East towards children. Parents wanted a blessing, and the disciples are thinking, look, these kids are not valuable enough to come and take up this prime real estate and the, the attention 
of this person we now understand to be the Messiah, perhaps the Son of God. The very next story next week that Josh is going to unpack for us, the story of the rich young ruler, that's the kind of person that they would, they would clear a path for who could come and get close to Jesus, someone with influence, someone with power, someone with wealth, someone who really could maybe help this, this movement that they're trying to get started move forward, not these children, not the children. We've got to have a sense of priority here. Kids, get out of here. This is adult stuff. And in their culture... In their culture, kids could certainly be loved and valued, no doubt, but, but it was very, very common for people to see children in strictly utilitarian terms, which meant their true value didn't arrive until they were economically useful as workers, you know? Childhood was sort of this, this middle period that was tolerated uh, between birth and like, you know, when they became adults around the age of 13, when we could put them to work and they could be useful. Maybe they had some social influence. They could actually start doing things for the family. Childhood was not romanticized. It was tolerated. But an even darker reality, and I might have, I might have spent more time on this uh, this point had the events of this week not transpired, but we, we need to talk about it. A darker reality was that the lives of children were cheap in this culture. There was a shockingly high infant mortality rate by today's standards, but worse than that, um, the Greco-Roman culture had normalized this practice of discarding unwanted children, unwanted babies on the side of the road or in trash piles. The, the Greek philosophers, many of the, the prominent ones that you, you would know, they argued, they argued that disabled or weak children in particular should not be allowed to live for the good of society. It was an early form of eugenics. Baby girls, in fact, were far more likely to be abandoned or killed than their male counterparts because they were less economically useful to the family. All of this, of course, went hand in hand with the devaluing of these children's lives in utero as well. But, but, according to historian Tom Holland in his amazing book, Dominion, if you, if you want a, a really uh, beautiful, you know, there's, there's multiple kinds of church history books. There's ones that, that we need to learn from about the, the horrific atrocities that the church has committed over, over the centuries. Uh, and then there are ones that, that rightfully help us understand the amazingly beautiful and powerful and uh, dignifying impact that the church has had in culture. This, this book, Dominion, by Tom Holland is one of those. Uh, he wrote that pretty much everyone else had always taken this practice of sort of, you don't want your kid, you, you, you don't need your kid, throw them, cast them to the side of the road. Expose them to the elements. That was taken for granted until the emergence of a Christian people. And the spread of Christianity upended that thing where we now, in the year 2022, we hear about a culture like that and we go, how barbaric, what a nightmare. How, how could anyone possibly think that something like that would be okay? It was the rapidly growing Christian movement in the first three centuries AD, armed with Genesis 1 and 2. We spent time talking about that last week. This radical teaching that there is not a human being, it doesn't matter who they are, what they've done, um, anything, 
There's not a human being in existence that wasn't created lovingly with, it, with an essential, immutable dignity be, being made in the image of God. That's, a, that's an idea that so many of us take for granted. But, it, but the Christian worldview uniquely, uniquely supplies that idea. So the Christians armed with this idea, every person has dignity and value flowing from being created in the image of God and then taking teachings like, like the teachings of Jesus in this very passage, this very Mark 10, 13 through 16, a small little story like this that you read, like three verses, four verses, whatever, no big deal. This had a profoundly, profoundly impactful, like it changed the sweep of history, how children were viewed and understood, at least in many places. It was the Christians that stood up for the lives and dignity of children. They would frequently rescue the babies that were abandoned by others. Infanticide finally became a punishable form of homicide in the late fourth century at the edict of Christian Emperor Valentinian. Um, in her book, The Secular Creed, Rebecca McLaughlin, great, great apologist, theologian, she writes, but even today, we see this practice continuing, this, this Uh, infanticide practice continuing in the two largest countries that haven't yet been significantly shaped by Christianity. The Chinese church is growing so fast it could reshape Chinese culture in the next generation, but selective abortion and infanticide in the past generations have led to a gender gap of 35 million. That's boys over girls, 35 million. Likewise, in India, where Hinduism is the dominant religion, the gender gap from selective abortion and infanticide is 25 million. So what has changed our ideas about the abandonment of newborns in general and of newborn girls in particular? Jesus. Jesus's valuing of babies is as striking as his valuing of women, end quote. So in in joining yourself to Jesus as his disciple, you're joining yourself to history's greatest influence for the loving care and protection of children as an objective fact. And may that work continue today. So the disciples, that's the context. And then a little bit of the bleed out into history. That's the context that the disciples were swimming in when these parents, probably mothers, were bringing their children to him, and the disciples say, no, 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 stay back. But when Jesus saw that, verse 14, he was indignant. He was angry. He was fed up. That word doesn't come out very often in the gospel according to Mark. When it does, we pay attention to it. Jesus was ticked at his disciples. indignant that the children would be kept from him. If we want to follow Jesus here, we must share his indignance, we must share his vision of the value, the dignity, the image-bearing nature of children. And so, when we hear about tragedies like what transpired this week in Uvalde, Texas, we do it sober-mindedly in step with, with King Jesus who says, this is wrong. And that's not unique. It's not only Christians who cry out and say this is wrong, but we say it not from a place of arbitrariness, not because we say, oh, it seems nice to, to say that. Oh, because, uh, 
Yeah, isn't that just what civilized people do? We do it in step with the God of the universe who weeps over this fact. Weeps over this fact. And we, of course, have to start, if we're gonna gonna advocate for this in the world, we start with it in our own hearts, in our own families, in our own church. We say that children will be loved and protected and cherished here. And okay, there's a few kids in the room. Very little, very little. There's some big kids up there. I just want to say this. Like, like your kid in the room, I know the deal. It's usually pretty boring. (laughs) I used to draw the Batmobile in the back of church most Sundays. I know church can feel super boring, and (laughs) to us adults too. But okay, kids, I want you, hey, I want you to look at me, you kids right there. I'm singling you out, all right? You ready for this? If you are ever made to feel like you don't matter, that you're unimportant, I want you to know that the God of the universe says that is not true. He loves you, and he will always listen to you. And I hope you know that the grown-ups at this church will fight our hardest by his grace to do the same. We'll fail. We'll mess up. We want to fight as hard as we can for you to feel loved and seen here, okay? Read this text. You're immediately confronted with with the reality, the call of Jesus. If we want to follow after him, that we must value and love children. But num- num- more than that, second point, we are, it, there's a call to disciple children. Notice that Jesus wasn't just concerned about children in general. He was concerned that they would have the opportunity to come to him unhindered. He says that the kingdom of God, the kingdom that he presides over, the whole thing he came to bring and inaugurate, bring to bear, he's done it in part, but he's going to bring it in full one day. The center of his mission, like connected to the heart of the good news of the gospel, the place where his goodness and truth and beauty and justice reigns, the place that he was always teaching about and trying to whet our appetites for, that kingdom, that one belongs to the children, he says. What does that mean? For to such belongs the kingdom of God. It means it's theirs for the taking. The invitation is always and forever open to them. They will not be turned away, regardless of their status, ability, utility, whatever cultural value there is. um, They've got an open invitation to the kingdom. And in this way, we are reminded of the beautifully upside-down nature of our king and his kingdom. Because again, that doesn't sound that controversial, now living on 2,000 years of enculturation from some of these really healthy and beautiful values from Christian theology. So yeah, that makes sense. Why, Why wouldn't the kingdom be available to children? Why wouldn't Jesus extend his invitation, his grace, and his call to come and trust him and receive all these benefits and blessings? Of course. But again, that was not the assumption. That was not the assumption. And maybe even for us, there's some sneaky ways that kind of this devaluing creeps in. This devaluing creeps in. 
The kingdom does not operate by our value standards. Jesus is not just waiting, you know, in the wing for someone really influential to walk up the stairs in here and take a seat and go, oh yeah, now Jesus, now God can really get to some important work now that that person or that person or that person has joined the team, so to speak. No, his heart is always seeming longingly going out, going after the the people that no one else expects Jesus to care about. No one expects the God of the universe to think about. Those are the people that seem to have priority in his economy. Did you know that? So we're called to share his heart in this, to disciple children. How might we do this? How might we bring our children to him? And that, you know, there's a whole lot that could be said about that. Uh, More that should and will be said. Things that, that we're kind of brainstorming how we might kind of do some equipping as a church community around this idea. I just want to give a couple just brief ideas. And this goes whether you're a parent, I think obviously primarily if you're a parent, but, but as well uh, if you're not a parent and you want to be someone who who's, has a positive gospel impact in the lives of children. Um, well, first, it's, it's just the idea of viewing this period. Isn't it interesting that God has created humanity to have this like period of time where we're just so vulnerable? Like, and I guess in our culture, it extends longer than it did in theirs, you know, delayed adolescence or whatever. But there's this period where, where children are by design so dependent on their parents and their caregivers. But that ends at some point. And it's, it's, that period is such a blessing under safe and loving circumstances, but it can obviously be such a horror under other circumstances. It's a period of stewardship. It's this little window of time that we have to kind of lovingly care and, 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 and protect and serve and shape the lives of these children and their deep understanding of what God is like. But as I've, as I've thought about it over the years, you know, I've been a parent now. My, my older son is, he's going to be six in August. It's almost six. Ah, that's crazy. And then we have a three-year-old as well. So I've had a few years to kind of really think and wrestle through kind of what, what these things are. I've been reading books, of course, talking with many of y'all about how do, we, how do we do this seemingly Herculean task of like raising kids wisely um, in terms of raising them to know the Lord? How do we not do more damage than good? And I, uh, there's a few things that come to mind. First, I... And studies show this time and time and time again, the crucial importance of gospel sincerity, integrity, and, and, and doggedly fighting hypocrisy in your own life, if you're a parent or caregiver. Being quick to confess your sin, quick to turn from your sin, quick to forgive and ask for forgiveness, letting the spirit of grace rest on you, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self all that stuff. The number one thing that causes kids to turn away from the faith of their parents is hypocrisy. It's parents saying, yes, yes, we value this, or I value you doing this, but I'm not actually walking this out. I'm not actually evidencing myself to be transformed by this God I claim to follow. So before you start worrying about, oh, should I get them in program A, B, or C? Should we read this book or that book? Should, you know, what, when do we start having our kids memorize the Bible? All those things are good and important. They, they truly are. 
but don't, <laughs> it's like worrying about the log, worrying about the speck in someone else before you've got the log in your own eye. Just follow Jesus. Just love him. Just serve him. Just come after him. Just let, let, let his grace transform you and let your children see that. Let your children see that. Along with that, but, but quite, quite second to that, have a deep commitment to the family of God and the local church. Let your children see that you value opening your life up to your brothers and sisters. That you're, that you're open to their correction and their rebuke and their encouragement and their scaffolding and their support. And then of course, I always think of this as like gathering kindling around them. You, it, it, it's not efficacious in and of itself, but you're just gathering this kindling and hope that the Lord will spark a flame there. But truly read to them, read the scriptures to them, pray with them and pray over them. Read good books that, that point them to the deep things of God. In conclusion, to the parents in the room, just, just know this, that Jesus loves your children far more than even you do. And, and he's more trustworthy than even you are as a parent. So in light of this text, bring them to him. Bring them to him. And it might just have to start with, with, with bringing yourself to him. Amen? That's point two. Point three, we're almost done. This, te this text includes a call to become children. It's not just that the kingdom is exclusively for kids, of course, but, but, but the idea that Jesus connects this to, it's, it's that anyone who would receive the kingdom that he's coming to bring would have to do so like a child. If you do not receive the kingdom this way, you will not enter it. That's what Jesus is saying. So it's really important to ask, what does that mean? What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Well, commentator Morna Hooker, she writes, the kingdom belongs to them because they have nothing on which they base a claim. They're, they're content to receive the kingdom as a gift. Their attitude is akin to what Paul describes as faith which just humbly receives God's grace. It means coming to Jesus clear-eyed, clear-eyed that we have nothing to con contribute fundamentally that isn't already a gift from him to begin with. We make no demands. We're not standing on our own righteousness saying, God, you owe me this or that. It's simply willing to be humbled and to receive the one-way love of God for us. The fact that you cannot earn a place in his kingdom or salvation or the forgiveness of sins or a spot in his family or any of the many ways that the Bible talks about these, these many gifts of belonging to Jesus. The good news that you can't earn it is, it, it, it's good news because it means you don't have to earn it. You first have to let the sting of like, I'm incapable of earning it, hit your heart. You have to be humbled by that. But then when you really receive that and you say, oh, he, he loves me regardless of my inability, through my inability, then that, that, that humbling turns itself over into just like lovingly, trustingly throwing yourself at his feet 
and saying, thank you, Jesus, that you have done all that is necessary to bring me to the Father and to bring me into his kingdom. This is the essence of grace, and it's the essence of the Christian life to become children in this way, to receive an invitation to Jesus' kingdom in this way. So, short text, let's keep it a short sermon. Jesus teaches us we have to value children. He gives us a call to disciple children, to not hinder, but to bring them to him, to his feet, trusting that he is worthy of that. That there's no one we ought to trust him with, including ourselves, more than him. And then finally, finally we might become like children. The necessary precondition to receiving a seat in his kingdom. conclude, have you ever thought about the, have you thought much about the implications of the fact that, that, that God so much, especially in the New Testament, has chosen to reveal and identify himself as a father? One way to think about that is that he's chosen to build into human parenthood a reflection of deep truths about his relationship to us as we re- reflect on human parenthood, we're, we're reflecting on something about how God has chosen to orient himself to us. It speaks of his relationship to us as creator, but also of his unending connection and commitment to us as his family, his relationship to us as protector and provider. It speaks of his unending love for us. Or consider this passage from Isaiah 49, 15 through 16, where God compares himself to a compassionate mother says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. At all times, Especially, 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 especially in times of mourning and in grief, it is crucial that we remember this basic disposition of God towards us. That if we are in Christ, he will not forget us. He will not move on. He draws near ready to receive our cries and our pains and our questions just as any good parent does. So as we have more time, more time than usual this morning to, 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 to sit and to think and to pray and to ponder and to, to cry out and to whatever else, may we take him up on his promises this morning that he is this way, that he is this way, that we don't speak out into a vacuum, but into the aware presence, the nearness of the God of the universe drawing close to his children that he loves. Amen.